Amen. You may be seated. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to uh, one of the Psalms of Ascents, as we said, uh, one of the songs that the pilgrims used to sing on their pilgrimage, on their way, on their journey to Jerusalem. One to three times a year, they used to go to Jerusalem to worship. And so uh, on the way there, they used to sing the praises of the Lord in this collection of Psalms from Psalm 120 to 134, are a collection of psalms that were reserved for that very purpose, to sing the praises of the Lord and to be uh, having unity in this mindset as they were going to worship God. And we have before, uh, our, before our eyes this morning a psalm that exhorts us and encourages us to pursue unity, to pursue the unity that the Lord gives to us as a gift uh, of His grace and mercy to His church. And so we are a called to be a people who loves what God loves and to enjoy what God enjoys and to delight in, in the things that God delights in. And so the, the psalmist begins by telling us, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren or for brothers when brothers dwell together in unity. If you are reading from the ESV, you will see the footnote that is on verse 1 that emphasizes uh, um, what other translations put in verse 1. So we, as, uh, as a people of God, we are also in this pilgrimage. And this Psalms of Ascent are really short. Uh, Psalm 133 is very short, only three verses. And it's uh, perhaps uh, in this way designed by the Lord so that pilgrims can memorize it, can commit it to memory. As they, sing, as they sing the psalms on the way to Jerusalem. And so if you notice in our reading, the Lord rejoices, delights in unity. And unity is something that is tangible. It's a tangible demonstration of the reality of the gospel. It's the reality of the reconciliation and peace, and peace that exists now because of Jesus Christ. This peace and reconciliation has an outward, visible expression in the communion of the saints, and the gathering of the saints. If you remember the Lord of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who has brought this unity, this harmony through His gospel. And the Psalms of Ascent show for us a progression of the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 133 is the second to last, is the one that reminds people of this very fact, of how good and how pleasant it is to be together in the worship of God. And we know that this psalm is a, has a celebration of the unity of Israel, the unity of the congregation of God, gives to us a hint of what's going on in the, in the life of uh, Israel. Israel, if you look in, in chapter 122, verse 4, you will see that uh, Israel is celebrating this unity now because verse 3 tells us, uh, um, 122, chapter 122, verse 3 and 4, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up. You see the tribes in plural. The tribes go up to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. And so there's togetherness. There is this sense of unity now in Israel. And we all know the history of sin in the world. When sin entered the world, sin was a disaster. 
that enter in, in this realm and in, our, in the lives of humanity. We see that men were created to have unity and fellowship with God and with one another. But when Adam and Eve chose to believe the words of the serpent instead of to obey the word of God and to delight in the unity that they had with God and with one another, they broke that unity. And that unity is, is rupture, is fracture, and the demonstration of that is that they're kicked out of the garden. They're immediately ejected from Eden. And the consequences are seen throughout the history of redemption. We see the history of their own children, Cain killing Abel, then Abram having strife with Lot, then the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob having disputes and strife and envy with one another, being divided because of sin. And then you see the book of Judges that shows to us the reality of the nation of Israel during the period of the Judges. And there was this unity, there was division among the tribes. And for the first time when Saul dies and King David comes into uh, the kingship of Israel, to the throne of Israel as king, is that you see for the first time the unity of the, the tribes that are having conflict with uh, other clans of Israel, and they come together under one king. But this is a short space of unity that is demonstrated in the life of Israel. And uh, this lasts uh, until the death of Solomon. Then strife again uh, splits Israel in two in the northern and the southern kingdom. And so division, this unity is part of the life of the history of the church. And sadly, it's also our experience, our unity is challenged day after day because we are sinners. Because we are sinners, even though we are redeemed by God's grace in Christ Jesus, sin, sin brings death and also separation. It is the cause of strife, it is the cause of trouble, it is the cause of separation, of ruptured relationships. And sadly, even in churches, among brothers and sisters, but it is not the desire of the Lord. The desire and the plan of the Lord is that the church may be one, as he himself is one. So that's why somebody wrote a poem that goes like this. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. And so we can relate to this uh, poem in, in Psalm 133. It's addressing this very issue, the issue of harmony and unity in Christ. And so this morning we'll consider that the Lord requires of all the saints to practice the gift that He has given to His church, the gift of unity, loving union and communion, because this will be ours in our experience in eternity. So first, let us consider um, from verse 1 that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, produces a union and a communion that is both good and pleasant. And notice here how uh, the psalmist begins, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
And so you notice here the, the word behold. Behold, lo, behold, see. Stop what you're doing, the psalmist is telling us. Pay attention. You see, this is a, this, there's something that is really exciting here that we need to pay attention to. This is kind of like one of my little uh, uh, child, uh, my little children. You know, uh, he comes to me um, uh, and pulls my hand. You know, he, he pulls my hand and he tells me, Daddy, Daddy, you need to see this. You, know, you need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to pay attention. You need to focus on what I want to show you. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He opens uh, with this word, behold, see the spiritual unity. You need to see this. You see, uh, this is not something that you're going to find in, in, or that you can learn in a book of history. But this is something that you can see. Unity is something that you can see with your own eyes and experience. And that's why we're called to stop, to pause, to behold how good and how pleasant or how sweet or lovely it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Some of you have uh, visited national parks and you have climbed mountains. And when you get to the top of the mountain, you have to stop and you take a deep breath because the sight is so beautiful. It's so majestic. You see around and you say, wow, this is good. This is great. God's creation is amazing. And this is uh, the sense of... Uh, breath uh, taking that the Lord is uh, uh, communicating to us as we read the words of the psalmist, uh, that we have this unity in the communion of the saints that is breathtaking. And notice how the Lord qualifies this unity. His uni this unity tells us, he tells us that it's both good and pleasant. You see, there are a lot of things that are good, but are not pleasant, Right? There are some things like uh, exercising. That's why people say, oh, it's painful. You know, it's, uh, it's hard to do that. And uh, no pain, no gain. And so it's good for you, but it's not pleasant. And th there are some other things that are pleasant for you, but are not so good for you. There are some things like uh, being uh, a little more, uh, the opposite of exercising is just to relax, right? To be more like a, what we call a couch potato. It may be something uh, relaxing, you know, you watch TV, and, uh, uh, but at the end of the day, that is, that is not so good for your health. It may be pleasant, but it's not good for you. But unity, the Lord tells us that it's good and pleasant. So what is it that is good and pleasant? Why is that the, that the Lord is communicating unity in these two terms, good and pleasant? It is good because only God is good. And it's rooted also in the character of our God. See, everything that the Lord does is good. Everything that He makes is good. If you remember, go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and everything that the Lord made at the end of that day, He says, it was good. And at the end of the sixth day, He tells us that He saw everything that He had created, and everything was very good was pleasing in his sight. And also the Lord declares us that the one he loves, his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was baptized, you see in Matthew 3, the affirmation of the father and the blessing of the father speaking about his son, he said from 
a voice from heaven. He says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so you see, the Lord considers things that belong to his character, to his nature as good and pleasant. And everything that he touches, everything that he does is good and pleasant. And good and pleasant is better than just simply good. And unity is described here with a moral connotation, a moral statement that is rooted in the nature and the character of God. Because we worship this God, the God who declares himself, describes himself, reveals himself in the scriptures, who is God, the true and living God, one in three persons. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And this is the God who has revealed himself. This is the one that is called the one and the many. The one and the many because they are in perfect unity. A unity that is good and pleasant. The members of the unity live in this perfect uh, realm of unity. Harmony and love for one another. And this is the kind of unity that pleases the Lord. And as you see, this is not something that we accomplish or or produce on our own, but this is the gift of God as the psalmist uh, conveys uh, the different words of blessing uh, to his people of unity. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ actually prays in his uh, high priestly prayer in, in John 17, verse 22. In the glory which you gave me, I have given them, speaking of the church, that they may be one just as we are one. So you see, this is the design of the Lord for his church. And the Lord also shows to us here by uh, the words of the psalmist, Behold how good it is, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, that it is possible for us, for his church, to dwell in unity, to be together in unity. And so just as God is in unity, the one and the many, also we who are in Christ have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, through His sacrifice on the cross once and for all. And so Christ has brought down, as the the, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, has brought down that wall of separation He has reconciled those who were children of wrath, who were enemies of God, and has brought them to himself. And now we share in one body, in one spirit, in one calling, in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, in one God, and Father of all. And so that's why the psalmist speaks of brothers. This is the term that we use, brothers. Normally we try to use those terms. We don't remember the name of the person sitting next to us. But we say, hey, how are you doing, brother? But the Lord uses this to convey unity, the unity that exists in the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual family. We have the same Father. We have been adopted with the same Spirit. We share the spirit of adoption. We have the same spirit. All of you who are here share the same spirit. The same Holy Spirit indwells you. 
You don't have a different spirit than the brother or the sister that is sitting next to you. We all share the same spirit. And that's why Calvin says that when we begin to pray the, the, the Lord's Prayer, as he taught us to pray, we begin not with my Father as individuals, but we begin as a congregation praying to God as our Father, our Father. And this is the good news that we see here in Psalm 133, that we who are many members, we're very diverse, people from all tribes, nations, tongues, different social standings, we come together as one body. And in fact, every time that the church gathers together for worship, every Lord's Day, we resemble the glory and the unity of the one and the many, of our triune God. And so we have unity in diversity in our church. And so this unity, the unity that the Lord speaks about here, affects our lives here and now. And I know that this goes against our individualistic society and culture in which we live. People who want to be isolated. And perhaps as you, you hear the, the, the words of the psalmist, you're thinking in your mind, that, well, I, I don't like this idea of togetherness or closeness. I like to be uh, somewhat isolated. I like to be on my own. I prefer my independence, my solitude. I like to live in my house and to stay there by themself, by myself and, and uh, not to be bothered by anybody. Perhaps that's kind of running in your mind right now. And perhaps you think uh, I'm more like a cat, right? Those who have cats know how cats behave. You see, the, the cat see people and the cat sees people and, and the cat runs away, try to hide behind a couch or he goes into another room. They like to be alone. But the Lord shows to us that unity is precious. Unity is something that is precious in His sight. Because it's His gift. But also because it's a resemblance of who He is. You see, when we are united with love for one another, we adorn the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we experience the unity in worship every week. When all of us come together from different parts of town, from different families, uh, some not related, we just met here in this building uh, coming to worship the Lord, we become one. We become one. And that's why uh, uh, I remember a, couple, a few years ago, uh, one of my friends, uh, he, he asked me the question one day. Uh, I was kind of surprised by the question. Uh, but it was unexpected, but it was a beautiful question. He asked me, do you love the Lord's Day? Have you ever thought about that? Do you love the Lord's Day? And I thought about it. Well, uh, I do. I do love the, the Lord's Day. And why do you love the Lord's Day is the following question to that, right? Well, uh, because we meet with the Lord. We are in His presence. But also because we gather with God's people. We gather with brothers in the Lord, with those that have the same experience 
who have been saved, rescued, reconciled, and who have peace with God, and also not only with God, but also with one another. And so we are united. And so if unity is a precious and excellent thing, a thing that God loves, and that God considers that is good and pleasant, it should be also precious to us. It is a blessing from the Lord, as the psalmist is telling us. Uh, if you notice, we don't, we don't create unity. It is impossible for men to create unity. That's why you see a lot of different organizations in the world trying to create unity and to appease country with country because they're at war. But it is impossible for men to manufacture, to create unity. But it comes to us through Christ and in Christ and for Christ when we come by faith to Him and we cling to Him. It comes with our salvation, with our reconciliation. We have the whole package. That's why when we go on trips, you know, we go on, uh, we drive long distances, perhaps to, uh, to visit uh, friends or family. Uh, we try to stop and, and we look for hotels that have uh, this thing that they call all-inclusive. Because our kids love, uh, it's easier for us to serve, to, to serve them breakfast at the same place where we're staying. And also because they, they enjoy going to the pool. Normally they offer a pool for kids to swim. And uh, out of the whole trip, that's what they remember. They remember the pool. But this is what comes to us. It comes with the gospel. It comes with Christ. Unity comes with him. And so the Lord wants for us to pursue it, to protect it, and to persevere in this unity because it is precious. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, we can also put this verse, verse 1, in the negative. How would it sound in the negative? If we put it uh, in negative terms, it will say something like, Don't look, don't look. How bad and how miserable it is to see brother against brother in the church. Because it is something that dishonors the gospel. It is a reason how uh, and why many people outside the church, many unbelievers, blaspheme the name of Christ. And this is another reason why this Psalm 133 is included in the Songs of Ascent. Because the pilgrims, as, as they traveled to Jerusalem, there were people like us in different times, but there were people like us who were traveling long distances to get to Jerusalem for worship. And many pilgrims face trials. They face uh, difficulties on their travels. Some of them, they have squabbles on the way. Back then, people didn't have like a DVD player to put on the uh, for a movie for the little kids in the back of the cabin. <laughs> so they had tension. They had stress. It was uh, tiring to go uh, many hours, many days perhaps, depending on the, the place where you were going to Jerusalem. And so many times they, have, they found strife with each other. They experienced lack of patience with one another. And people were staying in Jerusalem for a whole week. It was a whole week of the, the event, the celebration. And so as they arrived to Jerusalem, they had already been tired from the trip. And they were trying to find them. They were fighting for the best parking spot for their camel in Jerusalem. 
to be close to where they needed to go. This is kind of like what happens in the supermarket. If you go to the supermarket, you sometimes I, I don't understand why people wait like 10 minutes for you to leave the parking spot. Have you noticed that? And they wait 10, 15 minutes for you to put your groceries to get out of the parking lot and then they park in that spot because they want to be close to where they're going. So in the same way, people had this kind of uh, attitude when they, they were uh, coming to Jerusalem. Many of them, they had actually some squabbles between clans, between families that already existed from uh, different years or prior years uh, of coming to Jerusalem. And so they, they were fighting, uh, they were uh, discussing things. So it was very fitting for them to sing, to memorize the psalm and to sing it, to get in the mood of unity, to ask the Lord for uh, this blessing of unity, to experience this, even as they were making their way to Jerusalem. You see, they, they had perhaps hundreds of problems that they had faced or they were facing as they were uh, making their journey uh, to um, worship the Lord. But this is the same thing that happens to us, right? Perhaps you come angry to worship the Lord after you uh, have been fighting with your wife and you had some argument the night before and, and you didn't apologize to her, you didn't uh, repent uh, you didn't ask for forgiveness, or you're angry, or uh, your emotions are running high because uh, you had difficulty getting your, your kids together and put them in the car, and they were uh, a little bit cranky on the way to church. And so there are different things that affect us. Uh, sometimes you even find like people who are coming to uh, on the same road that you're driving, and they're driving so slow that they that they make you miss the green light and you have to wait and you miss time or somebody cuts in front of you. And so, and so we are fighting and we are making our way to church with a, not the right kind of attitude, nor the, kind of, the right kind of heart to come and worship the Lord. Or perhaps we have a hard week at work and we come to worship the Lord with thinking about all these troubles and with the wrong attitude and, or we remember some, something that happened between brother and sister in the church or something that you have against somebody in the church and you come to worship Christ. You see, you may be coming to worship with all kinds of things that are holding you from having the right attitude before God, holding grudges, holding bitterness and resentment against a brother and sister in the church. You may have been uh, gossiping and slandering somebody's character, which, by the way, is also an, an assassination of somebody's character to slander somebody. And for whatever reason, you haven't had the courage to go to that person and to ask for his forgiveness or her forgiveness. And it is interesting that sometimes the hatred that people have in the church for other believers is higher and stronger is greater than the hatred that they have for their own sin or for the world and the things of the world. And when this happens in our lives, we are doing the will of Satan. Satan is interested in destroying and dividing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Abraham Kuyper said in one, one of his uh, works, about the deformation of the church. That's the title of the, of the, the article that he wrote. The deformation of the church. Kuiper says that, the, that Satan loves to divide the church in two ways. 
First of all, but through external persecution, which we know that we're going to face that anyway. But sometimes we're surprised by the internal poisoning, he said. The internal poisoning that spreads like, it spreads like a green in the congregation and divides churches. And when this happens, this unity is not good and pleasant. And it doesn't glorify the Lord. You see, it is easy to forget that we are here not to do our will, but to do His will. And not to get our way, but to follow His way. I love how John Calvin motivates us to seek to pursue unity in the church. As he writes, um, this is from his commentary on Psalm 133. He says, as long as animosities divide us, animosities, things that are, are um, things, uh, strives uh, uh, within the body of Christ, and heart burnings prevail amongst us, we may be brethren no doubt, still by common relation to God. In other words, we're still children of God because we are in Christ. But we cannot be judged as one so long as we present the appearance of, bro of a broken and dismembered body. And so we, we can still be children of God, but we are not a body of Christ. We're not the body of Christ. We're not the communion of the saints. But we are a dismembered body. That's what Calvin is saying. And as we are one in God the Father and in Christ, the union must be ratified, he says, amongst us by reciprocal harmony and fraternal love. In other words, as we are united to God the Father through Jesus Christ, this union must be true as we behave in harmony and with love for one another. That's what Calvin is saying. And that's what I was reading this. You remember in the book of Judges, in uh, the, the latter uh, chapters, chapter 19 and, and so forth, uh, the, the, the experience of the concubine that was taken, that was dismembered in 12 pieces. She was cut into 12 pieces and sent the members of, or the, the body parts were sent to the 12 tribes of Israel as a resemblance of what was going on between Israel and the Lord. It wasn't one body. It was a dismembered body. And when you, you think about that picture, that's not something that is good and pleasant. That's something that is bad. Bad and disgusting. And so it is impossible to come together as the people of God and to render worship to the Lord without reconciliation, with, without having sin been dealt or sin without, or sinning without repenting from that sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount that the remedy for this is given by the Lord. He says in Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so how can we affirm that we love the Lord whom we don't see? And despise and hate the brother that we see every Lord's day. But notice here the beauty of God's provision. 
the Lord reminds us of the beauty of unity, giving us two different pictures or similes uh, in His Word. Notice in verse 2, we here notice the, the blessing, the blessing from the Lord in brotherly love. Notice in verse 2, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running, running down on the edge of his garments. And here in verses 2 and 3, the Lord places a verb that helps us to get the, the, the essence of what he's communicating. That this is a gift. Unity is a gift from God. It comes down. And you, if you see it three times, he's saying it's running down or coming down from top to bottom. And the comparison here of, uh, uh, in, in verse 2 is uh, the oil poured from top to bottom. It's, this is the anointing of the, of the high priest, uh, Aaron, Moses' uh, brother, who is being set apart and equipped for holy service. And so if you see the picture of, uh, uh, of Aaron here, he's drenched, he's soaked with oil, the oil of the anointing of the Lord, the, the, anointing, the anointing that is happening as a picture of the Holy Spirit. That's what, where you see oil in the Old Testament. Normally, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit, of the blessing and the anointing of the Spirit. And so the Lord's anointing Aaron here, uh, pouring this oil, and you see that, that unity is a, holy, is a holy thing before the Lord. Unity is holy before the Lord. That's why Aaron is being the example here of this unity, the unity that is holy, that is precious to God. If you read here, it says it is like the precious oil or the good oil, if you can translate it in that way, the good oil upon the head of Aaron running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. In other words, in other words, the oil covers everything, the whole body. So you see the unity of the spirit that covers the whole body of the church. And also Aaron, his task was to enter uh, once a year the Holy of Holies and to render sacrifice on behalf of the people of God. He was representing the people of God, the people of Israel. And in fact, on, on top of his garments, in front of his heart, he had a breastplate with the 12 stones of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So he was representing the unity of Israel. But he's also given here this picture the Lord is giving to us this picture as a picture of the ultimate high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's called Christ. Christ is not his name, but a title. The anointed one, who is after not the order of uh, the Levites and Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek, who was anointed not with the oil like Aaron, but he was anointed with the things signified, with the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, as the, the Spirit descended on him and filled the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the, the Lord Jesus Christ was able to offer a perfect and once for all sacrifice to break the wall of separation. And in him we find unity. And he gives to us the blessing of his Spirit to be able to persevere and to pursue this unity. It is a gift from God's mercy and grace. And that's why the Lord Jesus continues to intercede for you and for me, even from heaven, that we may continue and pursue this unity. 
But notice also the second picture that tells us of the blessing of unity that is a refreshing unity. It is a refreshing and also that allows for us to be fruitful in our walk with Christ in the pursuit of this unity in the church. Notice verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. When I was reading verses 2 and 3, I, I thought that maybe I should have changed, it, changed the title of uh, this sermon and put maybe growing a long beard and drinking Mountain Dew. But um, here we find ourselves in verse 3 that it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. To the dew of Hermon. Hermon is the highest mountain in Israel. It's in the north. And it's covered with ice, with uh, snow perhaps. And the dew falls on that mountain and everything around it is fruitful, is green, is flourishing. And that also affects even Mount Zion, it says here. Because of the, the, the blessing that comes down from the waters. As uh, the waters come down from, from the, the high mountain and the dew from Hermon. And so this is the unity of brothers in the church. It's like uh, we expose uh, ourselves to this dew. The dew of the, mount, the mountain is refreshing. It is refreshing and allows for us, for our soil, for the soil of our hearts to be fruitful by God's grace. And notice here that the psalmist emphasizes something. And, uh, it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. The mountains of Zion were low in comparison to Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was about 9,000 feet, and uh, the highest mountain peak in, in Zion was perhaps like 2,500, 2, something like that. But the Lord chose to bless His people from Zion. Notice here, for, for there, from Mount Zion, the Lord com commanded the blessing life forevermore. And notice here that the Lord blesses His people from Zion. Why from Zion? You know, from Mount Hermon that is a lot higher. Well, from Zion because that's the mountain. That's the place where the Lord chose to meet with His people. That's where He built the temple. That's where He set the, the, the rule of Israel. And notice that the Lord blesses His children now with a unity that anticipates, anticipates the perfect communion that we will have in all eternity. And as you notice, unity comes down from God as a gift. I like what Derek Kidner, a commentator, says. True unity, like all good gifts, is from above. Bestowed rather than contrived, a blessing far more than an achievement. And so Zion is this place where the Lord chose to reign with His people. And it is from Zion that the Lord commands this blessing. You say it, as, it is a command of a blessing. It's an interesting way to put it. But what blessing is he talking about? Life eternal. And what does life eternal have to do with unity in the here and now? Well, the experience and the pursuit of unity now, here, in the church, on earth, is a foretaste of our experience in heaven. It's a foretaste is what we will experience for all eternity. So it is an inconsistency on our part to behave like we are enemies and we are divided or dismembered in this world, in the church here and now, and claiming that we're going to be united forever with God and His presence 
in eternity. And that's why the author of Hebrews also tells us that we ascend every Lord's Day. That's why we also love the Lord's Day. We must love the Lord's Day because we ascend to the Holy of Holies, to the high places, to the New Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. By faith through Christ Jesus, who opened for us the new and living way through the veil of His flesh. Isn't that beautiful? That through Christ we ascend every Lord's Day. We look forward to being together, to worship the Lord as one body, as His people. Because we go to His very presence through Christ and in the power of the Spirit. And so it is not good for us to say that we can just have unity for unity's sake. Or we just claiming that or asking somebody... Hey, why don't we just get along? Why don't we just sweep our problems and our sins under the rug and, and, and pretend that nothing happens? That is not the way that the Lord um, wants for us to deal with our sins. Because our sin produces separation, you remember in the beginning. There was separation. And we were separated from Christ and from the commonwealth of God. Until Christ restored us, He brought reconciliation and peace. And so we should never ignore our sinful attitudes, our sin. We must dress ourselves and ask the Lord to dress us, dress our hearts with humility, with love for one another. And unity doesn't start with other people, it begins with us, with each one of us. With us having a repentant heart, a heart willing to see that you are a sinner and that you need to uh, forgive others. Because you are a sinner, at some point you need to be also forgiven by others. And so we must pursue unity for the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul gives us a recipe on how to do this. He tells us, have the mind of Christ. Think of others more highly than you had to. Think of others that are around you better than yourself. See, if we thought of ourselves less, we will have more love for our brother, more love for God, more love for the unity that we find in the church. And you can start this by praying for those who are around you and the brothers that perhaps uh, that you find that you, you don't have unity. For those who have sinned against you. For those that you have sinned against. You can pray for them by name. And that is really hard. I know it's hard. So acknowledge your brothers and sisters. Don't ignore them. Don't avoid the, the brothers and sisters for whom Christ died and shed his precious blood. Instead, dear loved ones, let us serve one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us uh, build each other up. Let us admonish one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs. You see, unity cannot be faked. We can never have unity in a false sense of the word. 
Our unity is in truth, is in love, is in Christ. It is in the gospel. Real unity is in the gospel of free acceptance in Christ Jesus alone, resting in his active and passive obedience that has been imputed to us who believe in the beloved. So that's why if we love our brothers and sisters, we also need to have sometimes hard conversations with them. We cannot ignore our brothers and sisters where they are in error when they're embracing false doctrine. When something needs to be said. If we avoid those conversations, that is not unity. That is not love for one another. And ultimately, unity is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may think at this point, well, I don't need anyone. I fly solo. But remember that we were made to have communion, unity with one another. And we are the body of Christ. How can the eye say to the knee, I don't need you? Then the eye wouldn't be able to walk. We can't live on our own. We are joined with one another now and for all eternity by God's grace. And so let us sing this song with faith. Sing it during the week. Sing it during the week. Memorize it. Teach it to your children and, and your family worship and family devotions. In love, look forward to the communion of the saints as the Lord works in us by the power of His Holy Spirit and His Word. Let us pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, O oh Lord, for um, your blessing, the gift of unity that you have given to us in Christ Jesus, and how you have given to us the bond of your spirit, the bond of the spirit of adoption, to be sons and to be able to call you our Father. And so we pray, Father, that you uh, help us, Lord, to uh, seek to pursue unity and to protect it, to uh, persevere in unity, knowing that the, the unity that we experience now is the, uh, ex the same experience that we'll have, but in all perfection in eternity when we will see you as you are. And so we uh, praise you, Lord, and we ask for your blessing upon us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.